For now, I've been uh, tasked with rounding up what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And we've been looking at how, as a Christian, we should be packing into our figurative suitcases the things that we need in order to go on our journey with God. Just in case you weren't in for all of them, a quick synopsis of what we've heard over the last five or six weeks. We've heard how we need to put God first in our lives. It's an easy thing to say, but quite a challenge to do all of the time. We heard how we need to repent. We ourselves need to repent of our sin, and then perhaps harder, we need to forgive those who have sinned against us. We need to meet together regularly to give encouragement and support to one another as we seek to get closer to God and to encourage each other as we worship God through song and prayer and hearing his word preached and reaching out to those around us in the community. We need to pray. Prayer is one of, if not our most powerful weapon in the spiritual warfare we have against Satan and in our intimate relationship with God. We need to read the Bible both as a source of inspiration and to learn more about God. The Bible is God's truth revealed to us. We then heard how we need to be generous, both with our time, our talents, our relating to other people, and our finances. Not grudgingly, but with a generosity of spirit. We're told in the Bible that God loves a cheerful giver. We were then told that we needed to take opportunities to speak about Jesus, not only in church to fellow believers, but in our everyday lives as God gives us opportunity, and to be bold in our proclamation, not timid. We have good news to tell. It's not bad news, it's good news, so let's be bold as we tell people about it. And we need to worship everywhere. Worship isn't just coming to church on a Sunday and singing hymns and choruses, enjoyable as that is. It's equally about the welcome people get on the door. It's about the people who prepare the tea, coffee and biscuits. People who get the music out and put it back. People who clean the building so it's nice and welcoming for visitors. I'm talking of which... You may have noticed, some of you as you came in, some of you have seen it already, the new fixtures that we've got in the foyer there. I've had very positive comments from most of you to say how uh, good it looks and clean. We've also had all the lighting uh, replaced and renewed as well, uh, and that's made a lot of difference to uh, the cheerfulness of the place. And there are lots of people that have been involved in doing all of that, John's coordinated it, but lots of people have given of their time and talents in order to bring that about. And I just want to say a big thank you to each and every one of you. You know, you know who you are. I'm not going to main, name people. But it's been great to see the church working together in order to bring about what is now a... Somebody said it looks very professional. I hope it looks very welcoming as well. A clean approach to the foyer. So as I say, thank you all that have taken part in doing that. It's been great to see people working together to bring that about. For those who keep the outside of the building looking bright and welcoming, uh, you may remember John showed us a picture of the flowers that are the first thing you see as you drive into the church and what a welcome sight they are to people who are perhaps visiting for the first time. 
And in fact, to anyone who does anything which adds to the life of the church is worship. Because worship is not just something we do. It's a lifestyle. A lifestyle dedicated to being the very best we can for God as his representatives, his hands and feet, his voice in this world. And his attitude to the rest of the world around us, somewhat daunting to think that what they see in us is how they perceive God, Jesus and Christianity. And it's not about the building, it's about the people who are in it. And if they come in and see us looking miserable and gaunt and uh, fed up with each other, that's not much of a witness to those who are coming in. I'm glad to say we're not like that. We're very welcoming. And I've been told on many occasions how welcoming this church is, and it's great. But we don't need to take it for granted. We need to keep working at it. And that's how people will perceive Christianity through what they see in us as individuals within the church. All of that is our quite daunting thoughts in our own strength. But the good news is that we don't need to do it by ourselves. God knows our frailties and has given us a handbook of how to live our lives and how to relate to him and how to journey together with him to the place where he wants us to be. Our eventual destination is heaven and eternal life. And God wants to help us as we strive to get there. You can get books and manuals on how to prepare for a journey most effectively. What to pack, what to leave out. The quickest and cheapest way of booking your tickets if you're flying, or even if you're going by train nowadays. The best time of year to go. When to avoid. Even how to pack your clothing in your soap case most efficiently. And some of them even have tick boxes of things to avoid, leaving uh, uh, how to avoid leaving an essential behind. What foods to eat when you're in the place where you're going, if you're going abroad, and which to avoid. The lists go on and on. Well, as I said a minute ago, God gave the handbook for the very best way in which we can live our Christian lives, so that when we come across trouble and tribulations, and we will, we are clearly told that in this handbook we are expected to share in God's suffering in order that we may also share in his joy. So we shouldn't be surprised when troubles and trials come along. But with this handbook we are in the very best position to cope with them by amongst other things doing what we've heard about over the last few weeks. Putting God first, repenting of our sin, forgiving others, meeting together regularly with God's family to encourage and support one another, praying to and listening to God, reading our Bible so that we're familiar with the truth of God's word, being generous with everything that God has given us, to proclaim the good news of Jesus at every opportunity, to worship, not only in church, but in every situation in our lives. That handbook is, of course, the Bible, the inspired word of God in its original form. Well, thinking about holidays... There are times of refreshing, of recharging the batteries, of relaxation and enjoying the company of those we love. And we come back, hopefully, reinvigorated and energised to cope with the stresses and strains of everyday life. Spending time in God's Word or studying God's Word with a group of fellow Christians or spending time in prayer either alone or corporately 
can act in a similar way and revitalize our spiritual batteries because they do run down from time to time. Lynn and I, when we were younger, used to go every year to spring harvest and there was something really uplifting and encouraging about being in a large arena with thousands of others and praising and worshipping God together. I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but as a one-off once a year, it did revitalise us and lift us to continue the spiritual battle which being a Christian is. We can sometimes forget that we are in a spiritual battle and drop our guard. And Satan can have a field day when that happens, putting all sorts of doubts and niggling thoughts into our minds. Uh, Many of you will know, some won't, that I spent some 16 years in the wilderness because I allowed Satan to distract me when I started a new job. And I succumbed to the temptations that came along with it. It wasn't all bad. I met Lynn during that time, so God was gracious to me even in the midst of my wandering away from him. But eventually both Lynn and I came to the Lord again, and here we are. But we need to be aware of Satan and his wiles. And may I suggest that reading through Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, at least every six months, just to remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual warfare. And we need to put on the full armor of God to effectively fight it with God's truth, righteousness and peace, faith, salvation and God's word and prayer. What a holiday also does is equip us to keep on going with life, with work, with relationships and with each other. Our handbook, the Bible, references keeping going in several places because God knows that in our own strength we will probably fail and we need to keep on turning to him and to his word for encouragement and the building up of our strength. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 tells us, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary moments are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, whatever our circumstances are around us, whatever difficulties we may be going through, they, one way or another, are going to be resolved. But we need to fix our eyes beyond them to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised us eternal life and a place with him in heaven. It's easy to say, I know, not so easy to live out in our daily lives. But if we put into practice some, if not all, of the things we have heard over the last weeks, then it may become easier. Psalm 34, 17 to 19, is a real psalm of encouragement for the believer. It acknowledges that being a Christian will not exempt us from troubles, but that God will be there with us, and he will deliver us in each circumstance. It says this, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. God loves and cares for every Christian soul. No matter what our circumstances or difficulty, he sees it and will deliver us from it in his way and in his time, which will be perfect, even if we don't recognize it at the time because God's ways 
are always perfect. Isaiah 41.10 is very much a confirmation of Psalm 34. God loves to emphasize with repetition the things which are important to him. It says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Having read these three passages, anyone who believes becoming a Christian will take away all their troubles and strife, should hopefully now have realized that that is far removed from the truth. And the joy of being a Christian is knowing that God is there with you in those difficulties, loving and caring for you as you go through them. Psalm 55:22 is David's testimony to the fact that God will sustain you. David did so many things wrong during his life, and yet he knew that God still loved and cared for him as he came before him in true repentance, and is able to say in this verse, knowing it to be true in his own life, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Finally, in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, Paul acknowledges to Timothy the fact that he is dying, but that he has endured the things that life put before him, and through all that has maintained his faith and looks forward to the promised reward of a crown of righteousness given to him by Jesus himself. Well, not only to him, but also to all who have gone before and have fought the good fight and will receive the promised reward as well. It says this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We are following a path which has been trod by millions before us as they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. The road has been tough for many of them, not least the Apostle Paul who recounts in 2 Corinthians 11, 16-31 the many sufferings that he endured because of his faith in Christ Jesus. Each of the disciples also endured sufferings and cruel deaths apart from John, who died naturally, all for the sake of their faith in Jesus Christ. We hear today of many martyrs who suffer huge hardship prior to being martyred for their faith. It's hard to hear and hard to endure, but what is obvious is that they all considered it worthwhile and still consider it worthwhile today, or there would be no modern-day martyrs, and there are thousands literally thousands each month. The book I spoke about at the beginning, The Heavenly Man, is about one such guy. He didn't actually end up being martyred, but what he went through, what he had to endure, was something I don't think I would want to go through. And it's, as I say, it's there if anybody wants to read it. And I'm not getting a commission for selling it to you. Hopefully, None of us will be called upon to become martyrs for our faith. But what is certain is that we will have to endure trials and tribulations in our lives. And hopefully over the last few weeks, 
we have been given some pointers to the things we need to be concentrating on to make us able to deal with and endure them better when they do come. In Zephaniah 3.17, in the Amplified Version, we read these encouraging words. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, making no mention of your past sins. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. God is with you all the time. God saves all the time. God rejoices over each one of us with joy all the time. God will not condemn us for our past sins all the time. And God will rejoice over us with shouts of joy all the time. But he, because he cares and loves each one of us with an everlasting love, and will pour out his grace and mercy over us, whatever our circumstances. That is something worth believing in. Just deviating from that slightly, but not far. A phrase you will have here many times over the coming weeks and months is, it's time to celebrate. It very much follows on from where what we have been talking about for the last few weeks, where we've been recognising that whatever our circumstances are, God is there with us. And there are things that we can do to make sure that we are in the right place with God and have the right attitude towards God to allow him to help and guide us through the good times and more particularly through the bad times. It's time to celebrate, as John tells us in the latest onwards, is a recognition that whatever is going on in the world around us, or in our personal lives, it shouldn't stop us celebrating the fact that God is our creator God, and that he loves us so much that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, to restore our relationship with God the Father, and that we can now have that intimate relationship with God again because of that sacrifice. It's time to celebrate is what's written on the leaflets which many of you have so kindly distributed over the estate over the last couple of weeks. It's a theme which we hope will attract people's attention. It's a theme which we hope will bring people into the church. It's a theme which is going to be repeated again in October so there is opportunity for anyone who didn't have a chance this time to get into that and to help take those out. A few weeks ago, you all generously donated to a gift day, and we're starting to see some of the results of what was happening there. The leaflets have been paid for with it. All the new uh, stuff in the foyer has been paid from that. There's still money there to use towards other evangelism events as well. But it's about us as a family, as a church, being involved with one another, being involved in encouraging the leadership of the church in what they want to do, being involved in inviting friends and family into church. Over 75% of new people that come into church are brought into church by one-to-one invitation. The days of big celebrations and people being invited down the front or, dare I say, even taking leaflets out, although we've prayed over these and hope they're going to work, are far less effective 
the minister preaching from the front of the church affects only 20% of people, we're told, statistically. By far and away, the most important way of getting people into church nowadays is by one-to-one invitation. So if you've got friends and family that you've been thinking about inviting along to church, there's a family service coming up. It's a good opportunity to invite them along. But whatever's happening in your life, whatever's happening in the world around us, whatever we think might happen in the future, we're told that Brexit will create all sorts of havoc if we don't get an agreement. I don't know. They don't know, really. Well, God knows. So whatever might happen in the future, we should still be able to celebrate because God is still Lord of our lives. He is still inviting us to join him in heaven when our mortal coil reaches its end. He is still in control of his world despite our best efforts. And he still loves us with a never-ending love. And he always will. Things worth celebrating. A God worth celebrating. A God worth inviting people around us to come and join in because it really is time to celebrate God's love and grace and mercy, which will still continue even if everything else falls apart or hopefully if the world turns in repentance and seeks God afresh. God is God and evermore shall be so, unchanging and steadfast. Amen.